This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined by Gordon Hill. Many who are listening to the show will know Gordon as a former Manchester United player. He won the FA Cup with the club in the 1970s, which we'll talk about. But he also had spells with Millwall. He played at Derby. He played in the he played in America. He played in Canada. He's had quite the life and career at the Netherlands, um, Finland. There's so many places to mention, Gordon. Um, first of all, yeah. how are you? I'm very well. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, it's nice to be on. And uh, as I said, when uh, when I got the invitation, I uh, I looked and I thought, my gosh, you know, and when you've just mentioned it, yes, I've had a, a, a few clubs, but I think the ones that stick out really are ones like Millwall, where I started. And then I went to Man United and then to Derby County, uh, then Queen's Park Rangers. And then I disappeared across the United States to start a new franchise and help out with a new franchise in Montreal, which was the, the North American Soccer League, which was, you know, coming through. It was it was their, shall we say, their their pathway to to becoming professional soccer's and getting the professional football league, so to speak. So it was it was exciting because, as I said at the time, the English game wasn't really on top anymore. It was suffering a little bit. Um, and so I, you know, I thought, well, okay, a new challenge. And um, the manager at the time prior to me leaving was Terry Venables at Queen's Park Rangers, who said he'd like to bring in some younger players. And then, you know, like the, the likes of myself, Ian Gillard, uh, Tony Curry, um, you know, you know, if you want to find yourself a club or, or whatever. And um, I played in the United States when I was 17 for three months when I was at Mill as a baby. So I knew what the country was all about, but I didn't realize it was that big. And of course I came across, I played. Um, I had three months here before going back. I was only on loan. I went back and then about three months later, I was uh, signed by Man United. So, you know, very, very lucky. Played with some smashing players at Mill and, and Man United. So, um, Obviously, getting to the cup final. I think moving to Derby after we knocked them out, I didn't think that went down too well. <laughs> but having said that, yeah, it was football and, you know, I went. And uh, that was it. So the path has been keep playing. Play as long as you can. And in terms of your life, you're still based across the pond now, aren't you? I certainly am. Um, I live here now. Um, I'm in Seattle, just outside Seattle by the mountains. Um, and it's beautiful. I love it. It's very um, English weather-like. So I'm, I, 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 I'm, you know, I feel as I'm home with a, a few more tall trees. So just, well, millions of tall trees. And um, yet it's beautiful. It's lovely. And uh, as I said, my, my son and my, my daughter-in-law are out here with the grandchildren. So 
yeah, we're we're settling down now. Touch wood, you know, the casters have come off of the suitcases. <laughs> in terms of the development of football or soccer, as they call it in America, how how would you say it's yeah. developed during your time living there? Because you obviously played in it in the in the early eighties, the late seventies, but it's it seems to have taken off again in a big way. Yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right, Callum. It, it was funny, but when I came over the first time, it was the North American Soccer League where they wanted to experiment, and and the owners of of clubs, you know, of NFL clubs and hockey clubs, wanted to see what the um, the marketplace was, so to speak. So the likes of Chicago, New York, um, Minnesota, um, Tampa. All these big San Diego, all these cities were said, well, okay, we're big enough. Let's have a crack at, at you know, getting um, some pro teams. So they went about it and, you know, it was here, but it was on a very much of an amateur scale. But what they did is they, they ventured into it. They spent a little bit more money. They got to um, stadiums where the NFL teams played and used those stadiums. It, even though we weren't getting the crowds, the likes of the New York Cosmos were the only ones that were getting, you know, 60, 70,000. I was fortunate enough to play in Montreal where they were 60,000, but it slowly, slowly grew. But unfortunately, we know that the, the players were, 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 we know you got some decent money, you came over and played, but a lot of the players went back after the, after it was, you know, said that, the league was going to go under, and you know, and then virtually what happened was they tried to salvage it with an indoor league, which is a five-a-side league, which we call it, but it, it didn't work, and and then the NASL, you know, slowly went away, and then obviously for what I would say about 15, 20 years, it just you know was played on their level, and there were a couple of semi-pro teams. Um, and they were trying to and trying to. Then all of a sudden, they came up with the major league soccer, MLS, and then started to look at it more serious with more serious businessmen. And they they went back to the towns and the cities where they actually tried before. And it's it it was not playing. We we played in those stadiums, but. The clubs were now looking much higher with because of the 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 shall we say the uptake from the players in from two million it went to seven million, seven million it went. So the younger generation were playing. And then the the the, the MLS said, well, okay, let's build our own stadiums. So they started to build the soccer stadiums. And so over the last 20 years, 25 years, they've started to build their own stadiums. And franchises now have become more and more, shall we say, a little bit more concrete. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of, well, this franchise is not working in this city. Let's move it to another city. Whereas in England and Britain, that never happens. You stay there. You're in a city. You stay there. That's yours. The people don't want you to move. But that's, that, that's the soccer and that's the football world here in the United States. If it's not working somewhere... They'll move it. They, they moved an L.A. Um, they moved a franchise from L.A., you know, the Raiders somewhere else. They moved lost. And so it's not surprising anymore that, that, that 
you know, the football at the lower level, at the youth level is, is shall we say, about five years behind the rest of the rest. And, and you know, when they, when they come forward, the rest of the world have already gone forward, you know, and, and it's, it's a catch-up game where they've got to learn to be able to swim with the big fish now. And, of course, with the MLS being, you know, being very successful now, having a little plan and saying, right, we've got to stick to this plan. They're now getting players like Frank Lampard that came across, Stevie Gerrard came across. Um, they came across to, as ambassadors to very similar to what we did many years ago when Pele and Peck and Power and all these players came across to promote the game. Some stayed and others went back home. And eventually I came back home. I came back over here in about 204 and said, right, that's it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've helped develop. And since then I've started to develop and, and help young players all the way through the system. You, you've just mentioned the fact that you've been coaching for many years, uh, which is something that's admirable, um, considering that you've managed in the professional game, of course, over here in the UK. How much enjoyment do you get from working with young players? And as I said, with the standard of the, the game when you played to now, how have you seen the standard since you've been back in 2004 to now in terms of the players that are, are coming through the systems? Oh, I mean, you could you only need to notice the type of players that are going across from here to, say, Germany to play and across to the UK to play, the young American kids um, that have got their heritage from their grandparents and their parents that obviously came from Europe or came from South America. Uh, I think clubs now in the UK, and I work a little bit with Man United in, in keeping an eye on talent and finding out, I guess, I, I'm not too keen, I'm not too worried, I don't want to say keen, I'm not now interested in, I've got to manage, I've got to win this, I've got to win that, I've got to do it. it to me, my winning is when I see a kid out in the field enjoying themselves, playing and learning, and I'm having and I'm being able to give them that little bit of a push and give them the advice. The advice that's that pleases me more because I have a centre of excellence here, which I've got academy players, young young academy, seven eight years of age, and to see them go out and to give them what we didn't, because we, I played in the streets when I was learning to play in, in, in the part on, on the west part of London. So you're playing in, you're, you're looking at these, they've got, they've got all the boots, they've got the footballs, they've got the kit, they've got everything, you know. What you're looking for is to, well, you're not looking at the model, you're looking at what the player is and trying to explain to them the difference in becoming a player, a professional player in the game today, as opposed to, you look might look pretty, but you've got to perform, you've got to produce it. And what I do is I pass all my experience, my, my, my footballing experience of, as a kid, as a young kid breaking in, as a, as a player that's coming through and establishing, as a player that was reaching the top, as a player that had a very bad injury and knew the other side of the game, you know, it's great being the top man, but once you get a bad injury, you then all of a sudden fall off that ladder. And now you've got to pick yourself up and start all over again. 
and 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 I look at that and it's great when I, I go out in the fields now and I, I, I'm very honest with the young players. I tell them the truth. You know, they all want to be pros, which everybody does. It, it, that will never change. And basically the, the bottom line for them is, is, is enjoy yourselves, put everything into it. And that's, 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 that's all I can ask. I'll help you discover the game. So what it is for me, it's, it's what we call guided discovery. And my center of excellence is a guided discovery. I'll guide you and you discover, and then you'll discover the game and, and, and what you want out of it. And it's just, it's a great for me to be able to sit there and watch these players go out there and perform and play, try things. Um, and really the younger one, they're like an untouched canvas. They've got no bad habits. They, they, you know, uh, when you get 14, 15, you've got coaches here that, that, that there's so many bad habits being put in them. You find that like the likes of myself have to go in and reconstruct them so that they've got the basics inside them. And chasing that is, is sometimes you've got to, you know, when, they, when they're 16, 17 now, they've got to be knocking on the door because the game, as you know, around the world, you're, you're finished at 30. And now the game, I mean, you could go to your 36, 37. Now you, 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 you got to be there 18, 19, knocking on the door, wanting to play. So the age comes down, but the teaching doesn't stop because they've got bad habits and those bad habits have to be corrected. And, you know, and, and so you're getting ready for whatever level of football that they want to play. And with leagues popping up over here, because this is such a big country, you, want, you, want, you might not see a player from South. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm six hours on a plane to get to New York. On a plane. I mean, it, it's like 4,000 miles. Well, if I'm in New York, it's, it's 4,000 miles to England. So the, the vastness of it doesn't really reflect. And, you know, so you're looking at Sam, but there's a good player that plays up the road. Well, he doesn't. He plays 3,000 miles down in Florida. So you've got to pick where you want to look at these good young players to, to, to go. So I'm up in the Northwest, Seattle, Vancouver, up that way. And so I look, I, what I do is I look around this area and look after everything here. And... There's talent here, but it's got to be developed in the right way. And the, the you know, the, the, the American um, Youth Soccer Association, they're trying, you know, but they've got to, they've got to come into the 21st century with the way that the rest of the world is playing. And the youth have got to get into that. So it's, it's so interesting, Callum. It's so interesting to see this happening, this happening, rules and regulations being brought into the game. And, 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 and I, I've, I say one thing, soccer is a simple game, football is a simple game, complicated by coaches. And the simpler you can keep it, the better understanding that the game is going to be. And I think that's what I love most about here. I love what, you know, I can go out and see a game. I can go, someone says, Gordon, you know, Gordon, you know, could you go look at this player or would you have a look and give me some advice and bits and pieces? I, I have no problem 
you know, but I don't tell them, I don't blow smoke up their backsides and tell them they're going to be the next Pele or the next best. That doesn't happen. It's, 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 you know, their level, what they want to get to. It's, you know, I can open the doors up, but I can't play for them. Absolutely. And that's the, the interesting thing, as you say, when it comes to, to coaching, because you need to be able to identify and shape the talent, but ultimately in the end, they have to have that within themselves. And if I may, Gordon, to take you back to the very start, what was it like yeah. growing up in London and how how did you get to Millwall? Because I know, obviously, you, you were playing football. I think it's slow for a while as a kid. How did you get to Millwall? Oh, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, bit of a myth, really. Um, the Wikipedia and pages, which I don't, I haven't got, but I didn't play for Stainstown. I did not play for Slough, right? I started when I was 11, 12 at Queen's Park Rangers. I was a schoolboy for two to three years. And they told me that one of the scouts said to me, get your hair cut, otherwise don't come back after two or three years. And I went, fine, I'm not coming back. So... On a Tuesday and a Wednesday, or a Tuesday and a Thursday, when you trained with the pro clubs in London, the nearest club was Queen's Park Rangers to me. West Ham and Tottenham were interested. They wanted me to go and train, but that was the other part of London. And my dad said, at 12 years of age, traveling across London, that's a no-no. You know, you've got to go to school next day. And so I signed for Queen's Park Rangers. Um, I remember... I got a pair of boots, you know, because I never had a pair of boots because I was playing, you know, and I, I got a pair of boots and I thought, oh, my gosh, I remember the boots. And there'll be a lot of people go, what? I said, yeah, they, they were called PowerPoints. They had a number one on the front, number two on the inside and a number three at the back. I always remember, always remember, because I took the one, two and three off because I thought the boots were really good. <laughs> So I started there, I went to, uh, I would train there, and then I left at about 15, and I played for one of the best teams in West London, who said, the nice thing about schoolboy was you didn't play games, you just trained. They, they got you as a schoolboy. You was their, so to speak, property. You was the best potential around the area. So what I did is I played for, I played for fun at school, but I also played for a very good side called Hamworth United, which was just up the road from where I lived. And at 15, I, I loved it. You know, we won the County Cup. We won this cup, that cup. It was brilliant. I loved, I enjoyed it, really. It was getting back to playing with some decent players that would become very good amateur players as well. So then at 15 and a half, 16, my brother was playing for Southall. And he said to me, do you want to come pre-season training with me? So I said, oh, yeah, I'd love, yeah, love to. So I went pre-season training with him. And about two weeks after, they said, would you play for us? I said, I'm only 15, 16. You can't play, surely, in the, in the Athenian League in London. I went, yeah, OK. So I played and I scored, I think, something like 22 goals in eight matches or something like that against... The big boys, you know, and I went and they went, whoa, Millwall came down to watch me and asked me if I'd like to have a trial. So I went, dad, you know, spoke to my parents, dad. And he went, yeah, if you want to. So I was doing 
um, uh, uh, my work. I come out of my work. I went to one, I think it was one training session. I played in one reserve game and Benny Fenton said, we'd like to sign you, boom. So at 17, I was at Millwall. And then I made my debut at 17 at Millwall. And then I played for Millwall that first season. And then uh, Gordon Jago got the situation. Uh, Benny Fenton had gone. Gordon Jago came in from Queen's Park Rangers. And next thing I know, I'm playing. Uh, he'd asked me if I'd like to... You had a choice then. He said, would you like to do your pre-season July and August, or would you like to go to the States and help with a new franchise for July and August? And I went, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to the States. I ain't doing... I'd done enough pre-seasons, and I knew exactly where pre-season was taking me because we used to train at a place called... Um, um, right by where the, 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 the big boat was in London, in uh, the Cutty Sark. And that was, and that was, that was the, uh, that, those hills over there, they were massive. They, I mean, so we went over there and I went to the state and, and that's when my story started in the States. They never forgot. So then when, when Eddie Fermani, who was a great Cholton player, was the manager of, Montreal, he came over and they, they bought me later on from QPR for 200 grand. And so, you know, you, you, you're doing your steps, Callum, bit by bit by bit, you, you know. And then I thought, okay, I'll come back to QPR, I'll come back to Millwall. I loved it at Millwall. I could have settled down and stayed there at Millwall. I was happy as a piggy muck. And then all of a sudden he says, I'm playing a game. And Gordon Jago says at halftime, uh, pulled you off. I said, why is that? I says, I thought I was doing okay. He says, no, you're doing great. But we've got an FA Cup game against Yeovil and their field is on a slime. He said, um, we've had a bid from Man United and uh, the bank has told us we've got to sell you. <laughs> I went, oh, right. He said... Um, Here's your ex, meet me at Houston. Here's your x-rays, here's your, take, uh, take your boots, he said, and you'll go up to London, go up to Manchester and have a chat. Well, rest of it's history from there. And um, I settled down there and I never forget the boys because I played against Aston Villa, no Wolves, and I scored. But the first game was Aston Villa, I think. And it was like, it was chalk and cheese from Millwall to Man United in the first division from the second division was such a big step up. And you're playing with players that are faster, playing with players that think quicker, players that, you know, no disrespect to the boys that you're playing with, but that's how in them days the, the, the divisions were. And I always remember getting back on the train, going back home and who comes down the platform and United have got me this ticket in the first class. So I'm sitting in first class now, me, I'm not suited to first class, in, especially at that age. So I'm sitting there all, you know, oh, look at me, so to speak. And who comes trotting down the gangway with the basket, with the skip full of the gear was Millwall. They just played at Berry. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm sitting there in my suit and try, and, the, and the, they all look and they see me and they, and they beeline for me. 
all the players beeline, supporters beeline. I end up like getting out of first class, going with them, sitting down and, and feet up on the basket and having a chat. And the boy said, we can see you might have done well. You, you got a new suit. And of course they were taking the mickey. <laughs> and, and that was it. And I went and from then I just, you know, just, you know, grew into Man United. And once I was there, Callum, I, I knew when we played them in the second division, I knew that I wanted to be at Old Trafford. It was just a stadium full of 50, 54, 55,000 people. I knew I was home and I, you know, settled in quite nicely then. And, you know, great bunch of lads, fabulous. In terms of United, I've got to ask you about Tommy Doherty because obviously he sadly passed recently and he's a character who was very passionate and even certain players that maybe had run-ins with him in the past when he passed did say, look, he he, he did have his moments, but as a man who loved football, you wouldn't find many more. No, I I totally agree. I mean, uh, I, I watched it and I listened very carefully to what the situation was you know, and there was fabulous players. There was Willie, Willie Morgan. There was Bobby. There was Dennis. There was there was uh, other players that you know, Bill Folks. You would you sit and talk to them, you know, because I was very I was only nineteen and I was relatively very young. So I'd listen. I would look look and I would listen to these players. And the the, the way that situation is, I think it's always going to be hard with such greats as I've just mentioned to tell them that, that, that they're going, you're going in another direction. It's a bit like when Terry Venable spoke to me and said, Gordon, you know, I'm getting the younger players like Clive Allens and, and people like that. So there comes a time when you, I can still play, I can still... Yeah, that's not, I'm not arguing that. But it comes a time when the manager comes in and says, I've got to make changes, otherwise I can't keep the same because look what happened. And it goes, a player always goes through that type of a thing where it comes to a stage where the manager says, listen, I think it's about time that, that I moved you on or I get, and I think he did it. He was cruel to be kind because as you said, he's a football man. He wanted to play football. And I, I heard, I, I saw, I saw the, 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 some statements. I spoke to Will, uh, Willie about it. If Willie had been five, ten years younger, there'd have been no way Tommy Doherty would have got rid of him, because he was he was that he was that player, and and he look at Bobby, and if Dennis was ten years younger, he wouldn't have got rid of him. So, you know, it it, it comes in a players where all of a sudden that group, okay, they've moved on, this new one's coming through, and and. You, with evolution in football, you've got to move the, the younger players are coming through, the, you know, and it's, it, it was sad, but um, some people say that he could have done it in a better way. I didn't know the in-depth of that. And I didn't want to know the in-depth of that because that was a hard job. Sorry, Bobby, don't want you anymore. And then Bobby realised it, you know. Uh, Willie, thanks very much, but you're on your bike. You know, it's those type of things you know, uh, that he was a character. He was what we call a likable rogue. You know, uh, it, in football, in, 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 in football, there's a lot of stabbing in the backs. Never, it will never change to this very day. 
but he wouldn't stab you in the back. He'll stab you in the front <laughs> and tell you he did it. You know, I mean, it, it'd be face to face with you. And there were training sessions that we had that he would get into the training session. And I remember one on a Friday before we played on a Saturday um, on the field at Old Trafford, because we always trained on the field on, sat on a Friday, um, little five aside. And then basically we went in for the team talk. Um, Ball came to me. He came from behind, never saw him coming. Forearm smashed me in the back of the neck, wallop, went down like a rock, like that. Tommy Cavana turned around and said to me, TD, what are you doing? He said, you killed, he said, you killed the wee man. He says, you've nearly killed him. And he's gone, oh, and he's gone, sorry, uh, sorry. And, and he's apologized. And it's like, I thought it was one of the other lads. Turned around and the lads were looking and the lads, you could see we're going oh no 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 <laughs> so you know that was him he was a tough player you couldn't argue the you know the fact that he was a tough player you know and and, and you could tell it but what he wanted he was very passionate about playing and playing that type of football that he'd seen with his with his teammates and what he'd seen from the previous united i mean he was he was he was matched up to United perfectly. He could not have he could not have they could not have asked for a better person to have gone in at the time when Frank O'Farrell and and Wolf, Wolf McGuinness Wolf tried but unfortunately it didn't happen. And somebody that was charismatic and 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 could you know give you a one-liner if you had a go at them. That was it. That was that was the spark. You know, not sit there and. Uh, well, uh, I think this is that. He'd come up and I'd say, yes. But they couldn't play either, you know. And the one-liners that he had were, uh, I mean, I remember the one at J Jim Gregory at QPR when he called him in to sack the dock. And he called him in and Jim Gregory was sitting there with a cigar. And he said, uh, Doc, he says, uh, he says um, sorry to say this, but I'm going to call it a day. And he turns around and says to him, why, Mr. Gregory? Mr. Gregory, I think you're doing a great job. And he went, no, no, he, <laughs> he said, no, you. <laughs> and it was like, and that was the type of person. And you got those, you know, one-liners and he came out with one-liners, you know, and even after he left and he went, I think he was at Wolves, he said, he says, I, he said at Wolves, he said, I went to sign a Vietnamese boat boy. He said, and he turned around and said, sorry, Mr. Doherty, I've already got off of one sinking ship. <laughs> so, so, so you could, you know, the, the humor was there, the, it, the lightheartedness, but the seriousness was very much when you go into changing rooms, when you're training, when you come out of it, and 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 you know when it was light-hearted, and I I, and I got on I got on famously with him. I you know I I I trained hard. I worked hard with him. I worked hard with uh, Tommy Cavana and Frank Blundstone. So the club was there. You had that environment to bring it back because people don't remember they had about four, or five or five years of being in the doldrums since '68. There hadn't been a title and all of a sudden like we we're in the second division and all of a sudden they'd come up 
and I, I saw that I saw it. I was playing against them. I could see what they were doing in the second division. And it was great to see it because like you couldn't, oh, how, what was the score this week? Oh, United four. Oh, that's a shock. You know, like we went to, we went to Old Trafford as a Millwall player and we were called the Lions, but we went at Old Trafford, we got beat 4-0. We felt like the Christians because we'd just been mauled, absolutely mauled. And it was like, holy moly. And, you know, them and Sunderland were hot. And, and, I, and I, I never forget that, you know, and then to join them, it was, it was a pleasure. In terms of your time at United, a lot of people always link you and Steve Koppel because you had a really good relationship. What was it like playing alongside him? But also, what was it like having a player like Lou McCarry up the top of the pitch? Because when you're a creative player, I imagine he's the guy you want in those positions. Oh, I mean, I mean you, you, you couldn't have got a more industrious, fabulous little player than Louie. He was just, he was, he was everywhere. He had the touch. He could score. He wasn't afraid to get. He wasn't afraid to use the height that he never had. You know, it was all these, all these that really you look at, and he always wanted you to work harder. You know, and then Stevie was Stevie was. We used to have a. We we used to be called the two Chukies, the left and the right. Tommy Cavana said, uh, "We'll give it to the Chukies. They'll do the damage." You know, and 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 so when when you're talking to Stevie. You know, he's sitting there, he's a, he's, he's a very well-educated kid or, or person. And he, you know, and he'd always be in his room studying the sociological, uh, uh, what was it, the, uh, the psychology Bible or something, you know? And it was like, and me and Brian Greenoff used to go, and it used to go, because we used to sit in each other's bedrooms talking on a, on a before a game because, you weren't allowed out, so you'd sit there and, and, and go, God, is he into them books again? And say, God, dear, how many books he brought? He must have a freaking library in his case, you know? So he would sit in there and, and, and all, because he used to go, to, he used to scoot off from training to go to college, you know, and Brian, Brian Greenough looked at me and he'd go, and he said, I don't believe this. I said, and you have to room with him? And he's going, and he was going, yeah, he says, but I make sure those books go out at a certain time. <laughs> but he was, yeah, he was a super guy, uh, uh, down, down to earth, really, really spot on he was, you know, and it worked his tail off. I mean, you had the, 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 the critics that were, there was... That was 20, 20, 23, 25 goals a season. And Stevie would score you uh, maybe six goals and stop 20. I would score you 25 and let maybe six or seven go through. So I worked from the halfway line up front. Stevie could be able to work his engine all the way up and down the field. Well, when he said that, I just scratched, we scratched, honest, we just couldn't believe it, you know, when Dave Sexton said that, get back and do the defending and don't get up the get up the front because my damage was from the halfway line up, I'd go for I'd be wanting to go to, to goal or create. Stevie would get back and help out the midfield with Sammy McElroy and Lou Macari. Now you had the industrious three there. 
and you had me that was maybe a loose peg on the left-hand side. But you give me the ball and I was gone. I, the only thing I wanted to do is put a ball in the back net or create. So Stevie and I were, were good friends uh, or are good friends, still very much uh, a forward-going players, both of us, but a bit different. You know, we were bit, we are a, a bit different, you know. So basically what happened was we'd have, say, for instance, Stevie going down the right wing and I'd be going in there and then he'll drop back and I might go in there, maybe not drop back. And of course, that's where it came into it. So Stevie was absolutely fantastic. And uh, uh, used to, we used to talk and have a lot of fun together, you know, uh, and, and I never saw him till I had a, a, my knee scoped at the Princess Margaret Hospital in Windsor. He kept, and this is purely out of the blue, I go to get my, I go to get my appointment. He's coming out of the, with the same surgeon, which we didn't know, met in the foyer. And he said to me, I looked at him and I, and I went, what are you doing here? And I went, isn't it amazing that there is no cameras around and you've got two former England internationals and Man United stars talking in there. <laughs> the, 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 this was so very funny. He turns around and goes, I'm here for my back. <laughs> and I went, I'm here for my left knee. <laughs> and, and, that, and I've not seen him since. And it, you know, but... It, it can be miles away from him, but you're still solo, you're still friends, and you're still past the time. And amazing. It is amazing. And in terms of your connection and the journey of that United side, talk me through the semi-final at Hillsborough against Derby, because that's a game that's very memorable for yourself. Yeah, that, I mean, we went there and we knew that Derby had... Um, we knew Derby had... Um, the top players, Colin Todd, Roy McFarlane, um, Dave McKay was a manager, Charlie George, um, you know, Bruce Rioch. I mean, they were going for four trophies. They were going for the whole lot and they were top side. You know, uh, Franny Lee was out. But Roger Davis, uh, David Nish. I mean, I can go through them because that's how good they were. And so basically um, we went out and we were a young team. And Leighton, Leighton James, um, was 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 playing for them and we got off the bus and we're going into the tunnel right the little it's called the little door there at Sheffield you go in there right so we go in there and Leighton James is standing there ready to give some tickets to his family right and he turns around and as we're walking down he's turned around and said it's not worth you guys turning up today whoa I tell you what that's a red rag to a ball Charlie George has turned around and absolutely slated him for saying that. He says, you've just got them wound up. Well, we went out and the first one went in. I went, thank you very much. Second one went in, thanks very much. And, and everybody went, we're going to Wembley. We are. After six years, we're going to Wembley. We're back in the top flight again. You know, we were doing so well in the league. And and we were and it was like whoa Europe's going to be and we were ready to conquer everything, and then that game finished two 0 
and 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 I was very lucky, very fortunate. I scored the two goals, and you know it was one of them. So anyway, get in the bath, get out the bath, go into the players' lounge to have a drink to get back. <laughs> Leighton James comes in, Charlie George gets hold of him, and gives him a rocket and tells him in no uncertain terms. You stupid Welsh idiot. You you lost us the game by telling them on the way in. And at the end of it, at the end of it, Charlie just went, Charlie looked at me, and obviously a great Arsenal player as well. He looked at me and he went, he said, I can't believe that. He said that Welsh, he said that Welshman, he says, have done that. He says, has rattled you up. So <laughs> I went, as I walked out, I looked and I Leighton, see you at Wembley. <laughs> And of course, like um, it was like, and we're on the bus, and then that's it. And of course, it's history after that. And in terms of Wembley, you have, I suppose, a really unique experience where the final against Southampton United ultimately lose, but yep. then a year later you have the success against Liverpool of all teams. So. Based on the two finals that you experienced and the different emotions, how do you reflect on both of those moments? Because you had one that was a lowest footballer score, then you had really one of the ultimate highs as well. It was it was crazy because we were thinking, okay, fine. We knew that they were the underdogs. And, and if you looked at the rest of the FA, uh, sorry, the FA Cup finals in previous years, the underdogs had popped up. So we knew that there could be a hiccup somewhere down the line. And if we didn't play to what we could, we could get ourselves turned over. And, and it was that game where, where the occasion, the heat, it was the hottest day that's ever. And we were so, um, it, was, it was draining. You know, you've got 100,000 people screaming at you. You know, uh, you've, got the, you've got, you're the top dog, so to speak, against the underdogs. Laurie McNamara's team was like, you know, Mickey Shannon, Peter Osgood, Rodriguez. And, you know, and so it was the, you know, Jim McCallagog who used to play for United. So we're now looking and going, whoa, hold on a second, you know. So it makes you think the old head on young, the old head helping the young, younger players in that side. We had a couple of old heads like Alex Stepney, who were trying to calm everybody down. So we thought, I, I think it wasn't complacency. We just did not perform. We tried, but we just did not perform. I certainly did not perform that, you know, the, the semi-final, it was like, yeah, great. The final's completely different. And I think you get there and you 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 go there on a Friday, on a on a on a on a Wednesday. You train Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You do all your you know your TV bits and pieces and a Sabutio goalkeeper, you know Sabutio, all that. But you're really you know worried about playing. And when you get out there and all of a sudden, like when they score the goal, it's like okay, fine. But something inside just said this is going to be a tough one. You know, and of course, when they blew the final whistle, it was like, you know, oh dear. So, but it's funny about that because after that, we go back to Manchester and we present them with a mock-up of the cup saying, we'll be back next year. And we believed in that. 
we all believed in that. We, we got it. It's, it's like a funny feeling, but it was like, well, we got next year. And then next year happened and Leeds United. And then we went back. And then all of a sudden, you're playing against the best, Liverpool. They were going for three trophies. They got the league. They got the FA Cup. They were, and, they, and they won the European Cup. So we were looking to, okay, fine. We played against Liverpool. We knew we could do some damage. And we looked at the great players. You looked at the Ray Kennedys. We looked at the Johnsons. We looked at the Keegans. You looked at the Thompsons, you know, Clements. You're, you're looking at teams that would just normally just take you to pieces. But we were confident enough that season, we knew what we had to do. And going back, we knew that we were as good as, and we were getting stronger. We'd had a great run in the European Cup. We knew we were in the European Cup. You know, two years before, and second division, nobody. Now you've got three trophies. You've got all the, you've got the league. We're looking at the league. We're looking at the champion, uh, the, what they call the Champions League now, the F or the Cup Winners Cup. And we were looking at it. So we knew that we were back and it was just a little bit more time as a team together. We would have done it, except for, you know, TD and his mishaps and all, you know, which blew everything out of the water. But that's another story. But we knew we were there. We had the, the likes of the great Sammy McElroy, Louis Macari, that was like a, a, a never, an, like we call him the battery boy, you know, ever ready. He was all over the place. He was everywhere. We got Weedy McCreary that used to come on if somebody was tired and Weedy used to come on. And if anybody was tired, D would pick that up. He was, he's a superb, absolutely superb. We had young Arthur Orbiston that just come into the team and so he came in and he was a great left back and had a great career. Uh, myself up the left, then you had Stevie on the right, you had Pancho in the middle. So we were looking, you know, uh, quite a force. And then obviously we go in the league, sorry, we go in the lead and then we get, and then Jimmy Case equalizes. Then all of a sudden we get that one that comes off of Lewis. It's amazing. He gets, he gets the boot of the match, right? You, know, you get the golden boot at the end of it, but it hit his bloody chest. <laughs> he could have been, he could have got a golden chest, but it was great. It went in. I was poaching on the other side, waiting for it to come over. So it, it was great. We won it. We'd lost it the year before. We were sad, disappointed. But when we beat them, I always remember this. Once we picked up the cup and and and, and we said. We knew that Liverpool were going to play against Mooch and Gladbach, I think, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday in the European Cup final. I must admit, we'd beaten them, but we said to them, listen, all the best on Wednesday and go and bring the cup back. So it was like a rivalry, but it was a rivalry because we were all British players, so to speak. But we wanted we wanted the European Cup to come back to England. It's, it's a strange feeling that, you know. Now, doesn't bother me where 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 it goes. Is that strange? You know, I look at it and go, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> it's strange how it's changed in that regard. And one of the questions I want to ask you, and it might come across as a childish question, but I genuinely am curious because you've you've achieved the dream that I and so many other young boys had. 
when you lift the FA Cup and when you're in front of 100,000 people, can you put what that feels like into words? No. No. It's a feeling that is just pinch yourself time and time again to know that you're there. You, you look at it from, say, for instance, watching it, and then and then you 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 look to see what you're 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 going. I'm watching you pick up the cup. Then all of a sudden you are part of what has done that, and now you're holding that trophy that is so sacred. It's the most it's the most famous, memorable, um, prestigious F, uh, domestic trophy in the world, and you got it. You looked at it the year before. And, and you got your hands on it a year afterwards, and you looked at it. And I always remember we went, we took it back into the changing rooms. And what they do is they say, right, get in the bath because it's a deep bath at Wembley. And what we'll do is we'll get the milk adverts out of the way, you know, where you get the pint of milk and, and, the, and the champagne's waiting on the side, so to speak. And the FA Cup, you're holding the FA Cup. Well, what happened was, the guy that was looking after the change rooms, the guards, runs the bath. And what he did, he put too much hot water in the bath and not enough cold. So what happens is you throw the cup into the bath because it's about four foot deep. And it, you know, and then you all jump in, grab hold of it, and then you, you get your, your milk, and the milk advert comes up and jumped in the in the bath, and it was that hot. It was that oh, everybody jumped out and left the FA Cup on the on like on the bottom of the bath, and you could see the ribbons sitting on the. We'd spent all year trying to get it, right? We spent all year trying to get it, and it was five feet away from us, and nobody wanted to go and get it. <laughs> it was that hot, so we we threw the guard in. We threw the guard in, and he put. He said, "Sorry, sorry, sorry." I said, "That's no problem. Wallop, you go and get it." We. The ribbons are flowing, red and white ribbons. And, and like Stuart Pearson always wore uh, a, a, what we call a special um, a rub that we had was called Five Oils, very special to United. And he put it on and it, what it did, it went into your sit, but it, made, it, it turned you a little bit red because it was, it, was, it was hot. Well, he got out, he looked like a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> because he just played a game and I think everybody got out the bath uh, after that and I tell you, everybody pulled a muscle because we never never moved so fast to get out the bath and the cup was sitting on the bottom. So it, that, was, that was a great memorable moment and then obviously taking it back to Old Trafford, taking it back to Manchester, there was 250, 300,000 people lying in the streets from Wilmslow all the way into Manchester, and it was just like, you know. And and then the doc getting up there saying, we promised you the cup, we'd come back and give it, and then we got the real cup for him. So it was, I don't think you could, I don't think you could, I tell you what, not, not, in, not in anybody's life, not in my lifetime, I couldn't repeat that. I could, it was just something just absolutely phenomenal, just great. We lost the first one, I always remember at Southampton, and my dad, came to the game the second one he said he's not coming because he was uh, he thought he, we were he was unlucky for us so he sat at home in his cardigan and watched and we won it and then he vent and he said I told you I was unlucky and I went, no don't be daft dad 
you should have come. Mum did. Mum couldn't, mum, mum, you know, working class family. Mum gets off the bus and there's, everybody says, that's Gordon Hill's mum. And they're all bowing down and she's, she's so embarrassed. You know, she's get up, don't, she don't, you know, and, and, and she said, and she went red and I went, I went, that's, that's the United supporters, you know, um, you know, that's, that's football mum. And after that, it was, yeah, it was, okay, let's set our sights on Europe and the league. And funny enough, Bill Shankly, at the time when we planned, just said, there's a team from up, up the East Lanks Road that's going to take our title. And they were, it was United with the best club, Liverpool were the best team. You know, everybody chased Liverpool. Yeah, had so many great players for Liverpool, you know. And we became, you become friends with them, not only as players playing for Liverpool, but also playing for your country. You have to put that to the side. But you, you felt really assured when you played for your country that you had really good play, the, the, the world's best players with you. Before we talk about the, the remainder of your United career, you, you mentioned your country and, and playing for England. What was it like getting called up for your country from a young boy who grew up in London, as you've said, wanting to, yeah. to be a footballer? And crucially, what was Don Revy like as well? Well, the funny thing about it was, you, you, you know, growing up as a kid, you're looking at your Leeds United team that were phenomenal and great. And, you, you know, your Les Cocker and, and you know, and your Don Revy's and Bill Taylor's that was at Man City. So these guys had been around the block, but they'd won. They were successful. And I always remember what I played. I only played one game for the under-23s. I scored in that under-23s against Hungary at Old Trafford. And Don Revy said, right, you're coming with us. That's it. I never played any more games for the under-23s. And I went straight into the first team, uh, England squad. And then I was making my way in the England squad. When I got selected, you get a letter. And it's like, okay, fine. I've got your under-23s, the game against Hungary. Okay, fine, great. So, boom. And then all of a sudden, after it's, it's you don't get the letter. It's now personal you have been called up um, you will be with us on the next trip and of course when the letter comes it's like holy moly you know uh, and, and you're looking at yourself and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and and really is it you know you're you're, rep you're one of say 20 players or 18 players that are representing your country your class as one of the best in the country that you can't it there's no comprehension to it. You just, there's got to be somebody. No, it's unbelievable. And especially with the great, there was great players. There was, there was Peter Barnes, um, you know, that, that was on the left-hand side. So you had wingers, you had Thomas, you know, all these, you know, and then you get selected. But the funny thing about it was, was when I was at Millwall, some of the veteran Millwall players turned around and said to me, you'll play for England, you will. And I went, nah, and of course, 17. Nah, don't be daft. Get out of here. I'm just happy to be playing. But yeah, I tell you what, and the insight to that, on it's the insight to your experience is worth its weight in gold. When, you, when some of them say, tell you what, it's got ability. Believe them, because they are 
they know the game. And so when all of a sudden you, 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 you're coming to the latter part of your career, you start, you know, advising. And that's really what you and I are talking about, Callum, is about when you go full circle, start teaching. You're passing on that past experience and teach and letting other young kids, young players, boys or girls, learning to play the game. And it, it's 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 been fulfilling for me. I know that for a fact. It's been, you know, it's been my life. I mean, I don't think myself, I don't think myself as I, I have nobody call me coach. No one's allowed to call me coach. They call me Gordon. I'm just Gordon. You know, hey, or here in the States, it's hey, Gordy. Okay, no problem. I have no problem whatsoever because I speak to them on the same terms because I'm no better than them. I just achieved something that I that I wanted to do all my life. Uh, that is a, that's the perfect way to put it. And in terms of yourself at United, you have the success of the FA Cup. You have that trophy that you brought home. The way you leave United is unique in the sense that you know what it's like in football. Sometimes you leave a club yeah. and you know it's time to leave. Maybe you've went off form. You were top scorer. You were in great form. And the fans were absolutely raging when you leave. What was that like from your perspective? Devastated. Absolutely devastated. I, I just, I sat there and when he said to me, I want you to play like when the Hungarians beat England 9-1, I want you to play like this player on the wing. I just went, I just come in from a training session and all of a sudden I've gone, I can't believe this. He says, I, I need somebody that's going to work backwards as well as score goals. And I went, you're asking for a machine. You're asking for, I, and I just said to him, I said, Dave, that, that's impossible. I said, I, I, I can't. I said, I go from the half, but I said, I create and score as many as any other player in the division, in division one. I says, and that's what I've been built to. And that's what I've been built to do. Uh, well, I want you to be like Stevie. I want you to stop 20. I says, but he only scores you six or seven. He says, well, you're going to have to do that. And I said, I haven't got the energy to come from Stuart Houston, Arthur Orbiston, right the way down the field. I said, because by the time you get there, you're tired. I says, I do my work from the halfway line. And I said, I'm being honest with you. And I thought I'd gotten well with Dave Sexton, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And then I got, uh, I, I spoke to some people that were, were, were from Chelsea who told me that that's exactly what he's like. You know, he's, he's, he's there, but, you know, we would do something and score. He would want it done the right way. And I found that out in one training session where we spent an hour on doing one thing, an hour. And uh, Lou Macari said to us, walk it. He loves it. Walk it through as long as it's done. Okay, fine. We walked through it and he went, that's great. That's good. That's a wrap. It's an hour later. It was freezing. And, they, and uh, Lou Macari said, told you. I said, unbelievable. I said, we're trying to do it at the pace we play. And he wanted a walking pace to perfect it. That's all. That's all. And I went, well, he's too deep for me. This is too deep for me, you know. And uh, that was it. And I, when, I, when, I actually, when I actually got the word, it was QPR. We were playing QPR. And he said, you're playing. And then he 
said to me, called me in again, he said, and he phoned me, he said, you're not playing. Okay, go with reserves to Preston. Then he called me again, said, you're playing. Then a little bit, you're not playing. And in the end, I said, listen, I said, I, I said, I'm not in the right frame of mind for this. I said, I said, I'm, I, I'm not a smart player in terms of like understanding, but what you're saying is confusing. So he says, I'll tell you what, go with the reserves. I went, okay, fine. And I went to reserve, went with reserves and I was at Preston and the dock had left and I was at Preston and Jimmy, Jimmy Curran was taking the team and, uh, at halftime, Jimmy says, come off. He says, Gordon, he says, come off. He says, the, 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 the Dave Sexton just called me. So why? He said, um, they've accepted a bid from Wolves. And I went, what? He said, there's, there's a couple of clubs that want to talk to you. I went, hold on a minute. I said, it's a bit sharp. I said, he only said yesterday, it's says Saturday afternoon when the first team are playing at home and I'm playing at Preston in front of two, one man and his dog. And now all of a sudden, like I said, that it, it, yeah, it's, it's, they're given permission for Derby to talk to you where the dock was. So I went and I, I was thinking to myself, you'd already arranged this. You'd already done this. So and then I went and done it, and I and I left yeah left United, and I, I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it, and I knew that it's it had all been set up. And when I spoke to TD, he said, "Oh, he set it all up." I went, "Oh, wow!" So it, not being wanted was a factor in it from him. The rest of it, as you know, was like. Hold on a second, you know, people were saying, Gordon, you've just scored 17, 18 goals and the season and the season ain't even finished. I went, Yeah. I said, I, I don't I can't make this man out. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I said, you need an O level to under I said, you need a degree to understand him. And then I went and that was it. And I had a sad time at Derby because two games into the game, I broke I snapped my knee, which took my the other side of football, which took my knee, which took my a career away from me, and I had to get back an eight about eleven months to about eighteen months. I had to fight to get fit again and to and and you know get myself back. I didn't get my England place back after getting six or seven caps because of the knee. That was it. You know, I was when I got when I done my knee. I was just before I'd done my knee, I was getting ready to play for England in the Europeans against Poland and I'd done my knee and that was it. And, I, and the coldness of it was I never even got a bye or thank you from England to find out how I was. Nothing. So, oh, he's injured. That's it. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. You know, move along the chain. <laughs> you know, and, and that, that left a sour in my year, but I just went, I've got to get fit. I'm not interested in that, I've got to get fit. But I knew I knew my body, I knew my left knee, and I knew that I wouldn't get that pace for me back, Callum. I knew I'd, I'd lose my England place. I couldn't get it back. And then I started to like play, settle down, and then I started to settle down as a creative midfielder going forward. So I could, I could, I could pass a ball on the dime. 
So I started to create that. Still score goals, but I, I, I started to do that. And I settled back down. I can start a new franchise in Montreal. I went, I grabbed it with both hands, came over, and I was buzzing, scoring goals, doing everything. Marseille come in for me, and I went, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to play, I'm not going to Marseille. Stayed in Montreal, and, and, and that, it was brilliant. Just had a great time, you know, and I said, right. So then you got the ups and downs of football looking at you. You got, you know, what you don't expect gets you. What you expect, you don't get. So your expectations of it is, if it happens, it happens. If you, do, if you move, I still play as hard. If I don't move, I still play as hard. And so I, I now can advise players on that. And, you know, on the, on the, yeah, what's it like being a superstar, so to speak, in English football, one minute, and then bottom of the ladder with a bad knee on the next, the next day, it's like, yeah, you, you know, like in the press, the click, click, click. Then all of a sudden, like, you're lying there and your knee won't work. And that's the only injury I've ever had. The only one. And it was like when the surgeon said, I'm not guaranteeing you play top class football again at 24 years of age. That was, that was, that hurt. And but I said, I just turned around and said, no. I said, that ain't going to stop me. And now... Um, after all these years of suffering and everything else, last year, I had a brand new knee. Yep, I am bionic. <laughs> <laughs> You're I, got, I got sponsored by Lego. <laughs> now I've got a new knee now and it's beautiful. It's, it's, I, I, I'm really pleased with it. I can get out and play with the kids. I can run with it. You know, just can't run marathons. <laughs> so yeah football wow well, well that's the thing you you go to the states you have incredible time there obviously in canada as well and yep. then you have the unique element of playing in holland and playing in, in in finland as well what were those experiences like because again english and british based players don't often go to these countries no no i went to finland because they they had they started a new league, and I saw it very similar to what it was in the states, you know, you know, uh, playing with Hoi Koi, the Finnish team, who are now quite prominent, and to see their younger players, and then all of a sudden some of their younger players are coming out and playing in Europe now in today's game, you know, and and when I when I when I went to Holland, um, that was fabulous because. I've always loved Dutch players. I, I, you know, I, I think Van Nistelrooy, I think Bergkamp and people like that. And I can go on and on and on. And I got became very good friends with them, even though I couldn't speak a word of Dutch. I got on very well with a lot of the players, the, the, the Arnold Muren and Tyson. I, I played with against them. Uh, I played against Ajax and, 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 and Koeman and all these, you know. And what it was, it was like, um, in Holland, there's three teams, as you know. There's there's the three. There's Ajax, PSV, and um, um, Feyenoord. And I played with I played against them, and I and I knew what they were doing. But when you play with a club like FC Twenty, who are very not semi pros, 
but you got six maybe semi pros uh, so, sorry six pros and the rest of them were semi pros that got a job to do so you were so you're training the morning training the afternoon but the dutch player is a very is a lovely player you know it, 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 you, when we beat ajax when i was at united it showed me what type of player they were and yet had that mix that the technically they were great physically they were just as hard um the heart was in there, but I think that the English heart was a bit stronger. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, with the Van, Baster, Van Bastens and all that, they become stronger and they become much, much stronger. And uh, uh, I had a great time. I had about um, a just a half a season. They asked me if I'd like to stay for another. And I went, no, I'm going back home. I went back home to Manchester um, uh, in Macclesfield and I... I came back and I, because I wanted to be with my son and my wife because he was going to school. And so I, I came back and then I got a call from Stuart Pearson. And Stewie was a manager at um, Northwich Victoria. And so I went there. He said, Do you mind? I said, he said, Do you want to? I said, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I was about 38 at the time. I went, Yeah, I said, I don't mind, Stu. So he said, come down and, and play for me. I went, yeah, no problem at all. So I did that. And then a couple of seasons after that, Stewie got pushed off and they give me the keys. And, and I said, I can't be a player manager and tell players on the field what to do if I'm not doing it myself. Very difficult to become a player manager. And so now, you know, and I did that. Um, and then it was just, Someone said to me, oh, you know, Finland for three months, you know, because the weather's not clever up there. So I went, okay. And, and that was it. And it was lovely to, because I, I saw the new, the, 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 the new age of the Finnish player. I saw the very good players coming out of Holland and I could see how far the States was behind. So when I actually come, I, I had a bit of experience of, uh, yes, Division One, the Premiership, whatever you want to call it, 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 it was the top of English football. I'd been there, seen it, done it. I'd been in my, then to see this element, this element, and this element. Now I get an idea of the players and the mentalities. And now I'm doing it here and doing it, looking exactly the same at the young players and telling them that, you know, your dream is there, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, based based on that, the last main question I've got for you, based on your full career in football, from Millwall to Manchester United to life in Canada and the States, what advice do you give young players now who want to have a career in football? Because as you've said, with the knee injury that you have, football is a great career and it's a great profession when you make it, but it could end at any moment, which is unfortunate. It's a leveller. It's a leveller. It's a leveler straight away. You know, people think they're invincible. People think they can take on the world. Um, you can, but you've got to be very careful. And what I say to them, enjoy what you're doing. Give it everything you got. You're the only one that can go to another level. You're the only one that can take it to another level. Seek the advice to help you get through it. And remember, if you're not enjoying it, don't play it. And if you enjoy playing the game, then you'll find that you will then be able to reach everything that you want to do. 
Don't think of reaching the stars. Set yourself, set your goals. I want to be able to like play at this level. And if something else comes along on top of that, then go for that. But, but you know, if you search for it, yeah, people say, oh, reach for the stars, you'll get it. You have to take it in stages. You know, this, this game has a funny way of kicking you between the legs. And when it does, I tell you what, then all of a sudden you've got, it makes you as a person because I'm not so much of a coach. Well, I, I still am a very much a professional coach, but what I am now, I'm an ambassador for the game. Whether it will be a six-year-old or a 16-year-old or a professional, the same mentality goes. If you can't keep it simple, you're in for a lot of problems. And I wish them all the very best because your dreams are your dreams. And if you go for those dreams and you half you get halfway there, you'd be satisfied. Absolutely. And the last the last uh, small question I've got before I let you go is straightforward. Who would you say, based on your full career, are the best players you played with and also your toughest opponents? God, every single player that I play against, really. People say to me, you know, this one, this. Gentili, Italian defenders. Tardelli used to like trying to take lumps out of you. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got Kenny Craggs that played at Middlesbrough. You've got, um, <laughs> they, they line up. John Goodman that was as quick as, you, as, quick as me. Uh, all, all these players you have to like look at as, as players that you respect. You want, to, you want to do your best against them. And, and then you look at the players that you say, well, okay, who, do, who, who resembles? And I think everybody has a position. They just attack it their own way. You know, Peter Barnes, left winger. Gordon Hill, left winger. But we approached it. The end product is still the same. Even though you take the different roads to get to it. So every player I played against, um, the players I love, my I, I played I played against uh, Revolino, Pele, Beckenbauer. They're great. They were they, they they're, they're players that you look up to and you look at, but they look at you in the same way. They you know oh I'd love to have played in Brazil with Pele. Well Pele might have said oh, I'd love to have played in England with Man United. So you know that they're, they're, they're all great players in their own rights. If you say what are the great players or what's the best player, you can't because you have to put them in their positions. Well, Beckenbauer, but he weren't a forward. Oh, George Best. Well, George was a forward. He wasn't a, wasn't a defender. So they're all fantastic players in their own rights. I just say to him, enjoy all of them because you can learn something from every single one of them. And I did, you know, I, I, I look at different defenders. I looked at ways I could score goals. I would always try the the the. I would always try uh, um, the unexpected. Um, I was I was very very lucky that I practiced volleying the ball a very and so I could hit a ball from anywhere on the volley. I wouldn't let it come down to the ground. Uh, I was renowned for that. Ray Wilkins, bless God rest his soul, turned around and said, "You're the best volleyer I've ever seen in the world." So I said, it's only because I practiced. Maybe it's, it was those fences that I broke when I was a kid <laughs> and the cars that I hit. 
and my mum shouting out, there's another window gone. <laughs> Where is he? I'm legging it down the road. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're all great memories. I, one thing that people can't, I don't, is that they'll never be able to take my memories. Never. I mean, those memories will, you know, will, they're there, they're priceless. They're, they're, yeah, they're priceless. They're priceless as much as my family. They're priceless. I have to say, Gordon, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I've learned so much and I've enjoyed oh. the laughs along the way as well. Thank you so oh, much for your time. You've got to have a laugh. If you can't laugh, then I tell you what, like, it's a sad, sad life. But thank you very much. And I wish everybody, everybody um, the very best and uh, be safe and be careful. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean